Welcome to the Nerd Stalgic Podcast with your host, the Ginger Howdy beans, and welcome back to another exciting episode of the Nerdstalgia Podcast with your host, me, Luke the Human. Hope you're doing well, hope you're all good, as per usual. I'm really excited about this episode, I really, really am. Um, this is a movie that I've never seen before, I've always wanted to watch, and it was kind of like Emily. It was one of those movies that I always ever got close to getting a chance to watch it, but as soon as I got close to watching it, like the rug got pulled under me, um, I wasn't there that day at school or I missed it in media, or, you know, I just never got around to it. It was on TV, but I was busy. Pan's Labyrinth is that same sort of situation. It's a movie that I've wanted to watch for years, and I've never got the chance. So that's what we're going to be looking at today. We're going to be looking at Pan's Labyrinth. Um, but before I get into all that, make sure that you follow me at Twitter, at nursesagic underscore pod, keep up to date on everything and anything that I'm doing. Uh, you can also uh Subscribe to me on YouTube at the Nerdstalgic Podcast. Currently, as of recording this, I am at 89 subscribers, which is monumental. So I'm almost one away from my goal at 90 subs. So if you're listening and you haven't subbed yet, and I'm still at 89, which is a possibility, um, please do subscribe, like, comment, and all that jazz. Share it with your friends. Help me out so, so much. Um, but yeah, so as I mentioned, we're going to be looking at the legendary movie uh, Pan's Labyrinth by the equally legendary Guillermo del Toro. Um, like I said, I've never watched this movie before, so I have nothing to say. And it kind of benefits this new way that I do reviews, um, because anybody who doesn't know, anybody who's new, uh, the way I, I tend to do reviews nowadays, if it be video games, movies, uh, movie, TV shows, wherever it is, um, I tend to pre-record the review, uh, the introduction first. So that way I can't sort of uh, let my views out early. Because what I used to do, I used to do a review uh, in, to in full after I've watched the film, played the game, that sort of thing. Um, and I would kind of jump to it. I'd be like, oh, I like this bit, I like that bit. And I would spoil it and it wouldn't give it any fun for anybody to sort of keep listening. So I figured it'd be fun in a way of that I don't watch the movie or play the game. That way, my introduction is pure, it's clean, it's not muddled by my thoughts and feelings of what is I've seen. Um, and that works perfectly for that, because again, I know nothing about this film. I only know certain snippets that I've seen here and there, that there's a, a, a thorn in it, um, that there is a guy who has eyes on his hands. That's about it. But those are the images that nearly everybody knows, because that's whenever this movie is advertised anywhere. Those are the images that you always see. So like I said, I've never mentioned it. Really, really excited. Um, and it wasn't till really after I reviewed Pinocchio, the live action movie, um, that I it kind of sat with me. And I thought, you know what? I I've got to. I can't call myself a Del Toro fan if I haven't watched Pan's Labyrinth. It's his magnum opus, or as people tell me, it's his best work, and I haven't seen it. Um, it's not an English movie. This is a Spanish film. It's English subtitles, but again, I'm a, I'm one of my favourite movies is Amelie, and that's a French film with English subtitles, so that doesn't bother me. Um, so I don't know what to expect for this film. I really don't. All I know, it's a fantasy world, and that's it, by Del Toro. And I know that he is a visionary, that he has a great mind. He's got a beautiful cinematography. He loves practical effects. I love practical effects. I think they're better than um, CGI any day, uh, mainly because practical effects will last 
time, especially if it's done well, will stand the test of time where CGI, it might look good today, but 10, 20 years in the future could look primitive and really bad, you know. So I'm excited. I really, really am. Um, so I, I can't wait to get into it. But before I am going to get into the review, before I'm going to go off and watch the movie and then come back and review it for you, Beans, um, I want to look into sort of the production of it. Um, I haven't looked too deep, mainly because I'm trying to save myself from spoilers. Um, but I'm going to give sort of a brief idea of, of sort of a brief plot, a brief sum, um, summary of this film. For anybody who hasn't watched, anybody who's not a fan, who's like me going in new, it's, this is for us. You know, this is just a brief summary of what this film is. Um, so Pran's Labyrinth is a 2006 fantasy horror film written, directed and co-produced by Gamal del Toro. Uh, the story takes place in Spain during the summer of 1944, five years after the Spanish Civil War. During the early Fran Francoskic period, uh, the narrative intertwines this real world with a mystical world centred on an overgrown, abandoned labyrinth and a mysterious fawn creature, with whom the main character, Ophelia, interacts with. I haven't gone any deeper than that. Uh, there was more, but I've, that's as deep as I've gone, and, and I think that w is enough to kind of set the scene. And I, you know, it's during the Second World War, or close to the end of the Second World War, in Spain after the Civil War. You know, <clears throat> this really sort of sets the period, sets the time frame in 1944 in an abandoned labyrinth. Go forth, you know. So, as that's got me more intrigued, I want to know more. I want to know why there's this magical creature inside this abandoned labyrinth and how the labyrinth intertwines, as it mentions, with the real world and the fantasy world. And how does she get there? Is it like a Alice in Wonderland situation where she gets lost and she finds herself in a magical kingdom? Or is it like Narnia, teleporting, portals, that sort of thing? That, again, you know, it's got my interest. And I, I generally thought this movie was older than 2006. I thought it was like a... This was like 90s, early 2000s. So to hear it's 2006, it really does surprise me. Also, it's a fantasy horror. I love fantasy. I love horror. You know, so bleed them together. I'm already on board. As for the production, um, I won't go deep into this, but there there is a lot to it. But um, in my notes and, and what I wrote down in my impressions, <clears throat> the idea for Pan's Labyrinth came from Gamal del Toro's notebooks, which he says are filled with doodles, ideas, drawings and plot bits. He had been keeping those notebooks for 20 years. At one point during production, he left the notebook in a taxi in London and was distraught, but the cabbie returned it to him two days later. Though he originally wrote a story about a pregnant woman who falls in love with a fawn, uh, Sergi Lopez said that Del Toro described the final version of the plot a year and a half before filming. Lopez said that for two hours and a half, he explained to me all the movie, but with all the details, it was incredible. And when he finished, I said, you have a script. He said, no, nothing is written. Lopez agreed to act in the movie and received the script one year later. He said that it was exactly the same. It was incredible. In his little head, he had all the history with a lot of detail, a lot of character. Like now, when you look at the movie, it was exactly what he had in his head. Datora got the idea of the thorn from a childhood experience with lucid dreaming. He, sta he he started on the Charlie Rose. He sta uh, stated on the Charlie Rose. So I can't even read my own writing. Um, that every midnight he would wake up and a fawn would gradually step out from behind 
the grandfather's clock. Originally, the fawn was supposed to be a classic half-human, half-goat fawn, uh, fraught with beauty. But in the end, the thorn was altered into a goat-faced creature, almost completely made out of earth, moss, vines and tree bark. He became a mysterious, semi-suspicious relic who gave both the impression of trustworthiness and many signs that warned someone to never confide in him at all. There's a lot more to do with the production. Um, this kind of in inspired me really when you look at the um, the effects part of it. Pan's Labyrinth employ impl uh, employs some computer-generated imagery in its effects, but it mostly uses complex makeup and animatronics. The giant toad was inspired by the maze. Del Toro himself performed the noises. The mandrake root is a combination of animatronics and CGI. Del Toro wanted the fairies to look like little monkeys, little dirty fairies, but the animation company had the idea to give them wings made of leaves. Um, Jones, who is the guy that plays the... the the thorn i think if i remember correctly jones is oh don't let me go back it's doug jones uh who plays the Thorn, who played uh billy in uh hocus pocus he he honest, he's been in all i think he did the voice for jack skeleton i believe i think he also did he played the water monster in shape of water i think he's been in most of del toro's movies to be honest he just has that Again, I'm sure he's a, he's a decent bloke, but he just has that ghoulish look to him. He has that kind of body where he can very morph into these very sort of skeletony creatures. Like he, he I think he always played. Um, I he was in Hellboy. He he was the Fishman. Yeah, I'm sure he played him as well. Um, Jones spent an average of five hours sitting in the makeup chair as his team of uh, David Matari and Musty Ribby. And Xavier Batista applied the makeup for the form, which was mostly latex foam. The la last piece to be applied was the pair of horns, which weighed 10 pounds and were extremely tiring to wear. The legs were a unique design with Joe standing on a 20 centimeter high lifts, which was eight inches for those of you that live in America. And the legs of the thorn attached to his own. His lower leg was eventually digitally erased in post-production the thorns flapping ears and blinking eyes were remotely operated by david matari and xavier batista from dtt uh, effectos esperalitis while on set del toro told jones to go rock star like a glam rocker but less david bowie uh, and more mick jagger so that's it for the production. I didn't really want to go too deep, obviously. I didn't want to go too far into it because I didn't want to spoil it for myself. And I knew that if I was going to sort of recount some of the production notes and, and things like that, I didn't want to spoil it for anybody else who, who equally hasn't watched it. Um, so for those of you who are fans of this movie, who are coming into this, that's why I'm I'm keeping it quite a bit because I don't I want to go in fresh. Um, I would imagine because it's you know it's fantasy there are going to be fairies and thorns and that sort of thing in it. So it's not so so small to me. Um, and yeah, I, I'm ready for this adventure. So I'm going to stop talking now, and I'm just going to go into it. So I'm going to go off and watch the movie now. When I come back, I've watched the movie in full, notes and all. And yeah, so I can't wait. Let's go into the labyrinth, shall we? Right, so I've just finished watching Pan's Labyrinth, and honestly, I'm in awe. Like this movie was, this movie is and was 
powerful it's gorgeous it's emotive it's wonderful it's dark it's brutal it's uh, statistic uh, uh, not statistic um, sadistic at times you know in terms of characters and their motives and what they do Um, it's also wonderful it's beautiful and I've said gorgeous before already but it is just a powerhouse of art you know this is what art is in terms of movies and storytelling you know and that's what it felt like to me it didn't feel like a movie it felt like i was watching art in motion you know and i it's 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 weird because everything and anything is art you know a book is art a painting you know as well as art you know a, a movie a video game anything can be considered art just by looking out your window is is art of the of nature of life but when you ever watch a movie, you just know when you watch it that it was a, it's a work of art that you're watching, and I could tell that straight away by the colours, but the way people were dressed, uh, the way, um, the setting and the and the camera work and everything was just done in such a way where I could feel like I'm watching art. And this was right at the beginning of the movie, and as the movie went on, everything, every shot was just like gorgeous, beautiful. And when it needed to be dark, it was. When it needed to be bright, it was. When it needed to be fantasyful and creepy and unsettling, it was. Everything about it was just art. And that's Del Toro. You know, every movie I've ever watched of his is just art. Even Hellboy, that's like an action sort of movie. But if you really break down the the Hellboy character, especially from the comics and sort of Del Toro spin on it, it is a very dark fairy tale sort of fantasy. You know, you got you deal with the underworld, you deal with fauns and all different types of creatures, different sort of um, folksy ideas and concepts and magic and just wondrous things and worlds and environments. Which I can understand why Del Toro was attracted to doing Hellboy in the first place, because um, this movie is just beautiful you know that so that that's my going in thoughts that's my initial thoughts uh, to start with um but the movie is brutal you know it it is brutal you know in its settings its themes its characters this is a fairy tale for adults as i said in the introduction uh, the setting is 1944 uh, during the spanish civil war so it, the whole sort of setting of this movie, it's set in like a farm in a clearing and you're surrounded by the trees and then you've got the sort of captain, the general, he's there. And then you have Ophelia and her mother. Her mother is pregnant, but she's not very well. She's not having a very good pregnancy. And you have soldiers all around. It's kind of, if you know, so it felt a bit like the boy in the striped pajamas. If you ever watched that movie, how the little boy, when he goes there with his father, when he's surrounded by these soldiers and he's still sort of, he's, he doesn't know about what the world's like. He just knows that there's something bad going on in the world, but he feels like he's on the side of the right side, you know? Um, and eventually as the story goes on, he realizes that the side he's on isn't the good side at all. Um, and that's the same for Ophelia and her mother is the fact of her mother understands what's going on in the world. She's an adult. She she knows it. She's drawn into a situation where the captain has took favour of, her, of her, Ophelia's mother. Um, so in a way to kind of be like, you know, he doesn't say it, but like I would, my interpretation is come live with me, come be with me. You're pregnant, you know, a, a, a child's, uh, a father should be there when, when the child is born, wherever the child is that's where the father should wherever the father is that's where the child should be if that's the line anyway from the film i did write it down but i feel like i've I've misplaced it um so you know 
you already have this setting of war, of strife, of political unrest, you know, with the rebels and with soldiers. And Ophelia, she is still a child. You know, she still sees the world as fairy tale. She reads fairy tale books. Even the books she reads when you first meet her, she's reading books about fairies and mystical creatures. She's still very much, you know, a child. She hasn't had to grow up quickly. She's still pure, innocent, very much the fact of, and I'll get into this in a minute, but her perspective on the world is very different to how adults see the world, as it would be anyway, normally. Um, she hasn't had to grow up quickly yet. She's still very much a child. And that is lent on very heavily as the story goes on. But this movie is brutal. You know, when you meet the, the, the general, the captain, straight away, you can tell there's something off about him. That there's something you just don't like about him. And then when you first get him on his own and when when he when he's with his men and he meets somebody who he sort of presumes are quote unquote rebels, how he treats them, uh, what he does to them. It's a very brutal scene. Um, I won't go into full details as, as spoilers, but he does it with a, a glass bottle and you actually see what he does with it. That's incredibly just like Jesus Christ, you know, and that really sort of sets the tone straight away of like, yeah, my interpretations of who this character is and who they are as a person was completely correct. Um, and then it does a great way of showing you the brutal, brutal side of war, the brutal side of fascism, the brutal side of, of sort of what rebels and war and all that sort of thing. And then it shows you perfectly what it's like to be a child, what sort of Ophelia is dealing with and how that she has to, she's got this magical world that she disappears into. And that's sort of the beautiful side. So you get a good contrast of the dark and the brutal and the true to life realistic world and the childlistic sort of magical, fantasyful, pure, innocent side of it all. Um, like I said, it, this is a very much a fairy tale for grown-ups. This is not for kids. This is not something that you would put on for little Jimmy, you know, because Jimmy would have nightmares because it is scary at times. It is horrific. You know, it's not just the, the, the adult side of it. You've also got the fairy tale side of it. The the And I'll get onto the practical effects in a minute, but even the practical effects and the fairies, they all look quite creepy. They all look very sort of untrustworthy. And there's, there is a point to that. There is a point to that. And you learn at the point as the story goes on, especially at the end, which I won't spoil. But once you get to the end, that all sorts to make sense as to why they seem that way and why they make you feel that way. Um, but as I mentioned, there are different perspectives. You know, you see the world, you know, through adult eyes, as you or I would see it, the way it actually is, the way you can actually see it. Um, and then a child will see it completely differently. They still see the magic. You know, most people look at a tree and just see a tree. Whereas a child will look at a tree and they will notice every single bit of little detail. They'll notice how green each leaf is or which ones have gone brown. And they would even, their brain could go in as far as wonder that it looks like an old creature, you know, that has been frozen in time. And these beautiful ideas and concepts that children come up with. And a lot of adults still tend to keep if their child at heart, like I am myself, most adults still see these things, but majority of the time, majority of adults, especially in times of war, in times of strife, you quickly have to grow up and you have to stop believing. You know, you get to the age of not believing and you have to basically see the world as it is because that's how you survive. Um, but I love that contrast, that different perspectives of seeing the worlds differently. And then when both of those worlds eventually collide, it's heart-wrenching. You know, it's it's very sad. And again, I won't go into spoilers, but this movie does get very 
emotional, um, not just for Ophelia, but in general, as the war goes on, as this battle goes on, and as each character has their own internal struggles. You can tell that the the general, the captain, he's got his own struggles that he's dealing with uh, that have sent him Dulali. You know, Ophelia, she's still young. She and she's got she's realized this new big mystery, this big secret, this magical world. And then what that means for her. Then you've got Ophelia's mother who's pregnant, who's not dealing very well with the pregnancy and how both characters, the captain and Ophelia, have to deal with this. Because in my interpretation, that they are the two main characters. Those are the two sort of conflicting issues. You have other characters like Mercedes, who um, is the sort of head, I was a head nurse, head sort of um, carer for all the other servants and all the other people in this little house village that they're in. Um, and then you have sort of the character, you have the the doctor, and you have the rebels, and there are these small different uh, characters all have their own stories and all feel real. None of them feel like they're just there a character that they show up once and they disappear or they show up here here and there. Each character feels real. Each character has a backstory. You can feel there's a there's a history to each character. You know, you can tell that each character has been through hell and back and they've had their struggles, but they're staying strong because you have to in war times. But the main characters are the captain who ha- who shows you the perspective of a, of the war, of, of everything that's going on and the brutal side of it and how brutal it's made him and how brutal he is, as well as you have the perspective of Ophelia and the magical side of it. So I know I've gone on about it a lot, but I just love the different perspectives, how you get to see things, see things differently. You don't get that in most stories. You know, you only really, I've only ever read it in books, you know, so you don't really see it much on screen. So to have that sort of perspective and different sides to each coin, I love that kind of stuff. So that was fantastic. Um, also the incredible stand the test of time, practical effects. It, it just, this movie, it's not just gorgeous in what the theme settings and all that, but it's gorgeous in how it looks as well. Yes, there is a bit of CGI here and there, and the fairies at times don't look, you know, 100%, but that's not an issue because the practical effects bolster it. The practical effects keep everything looking gorgeous, pretty. Like this movie is made in 2006, it's now 2023, and it still looks beautiful. Like I could happily say this movie was made yesterday, and. I would believe you if you told me. Yeah, because it has doesn't look like it's aged. It doesn't look like it's any older than now. And I feel like it will still stand the test of time 20 years from now. Because the, it, it is gorgeous. Like, the thorn, he is... How can I explain it? He just looks real. He looks like a character. Like, if... if magic existed and if thorns existed and fairies existed this is what they would look like and if you met one you went outside your house and you went into the woods and you met one this is how they would look it doesn't look like he's wearing prosthetics he doesn't feel like it's not real everything looks real you've got the 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 slim man well i call him the slim man i don't know if that's what his name is that's just the name i put down for notes but there's a character where you that ophelia she goes to this other world and she meets this character. This character never talks, never does anything. He's, he's just a visual presence. And then eventually he's a very looming sort of um, scary horror even presence um, as he this character chases Ophelia. But even that looks terrifying. And it looks terrifying because it looks real. It looks something that you could possibly see in your nightmares. It looks something that 
you wouldn't want chasing you. It, it looked real. Um, the CGI a bit on the hands, but again, that's again because the practical effects are so good that you notice it at first, but then your brain goes, "Oh well, you know, it's not an issue at all." And I can feel like this movie will stand the test of time. And as the years go on, it will just age like fine wine and just get better and better and better. And yeah, this is why I always say practical effects are the best you can do. You can have the best CGI in the world, but eventually time will pass. That technology will evolve um, and it will get cheaper and other movies will use that uh, technology and it will come commonplace till eventually, again, 10, 20 years from now, CGI will look better and then you watch a movie from 10 years ago that had the top of the range CGI at the time and looks like pants, you know. And that's not an issue of it not looking great. It's just a fact of because we've we've been sort of desensitized to it. We've already seen it. Whereas practical effects, if done well, they will stand the test of time because it's real. It is real. It's makeup. It is prosthetics. It is art. It is you know you don't go to a museum and look at uh, michelangelo's david and go oh well it's not that good is it because it's old you're like no that's beautiful it's always beautiful because it's standard test of time it's gorgeous same with paintings and murals and all that they look gorgeous because yes they were they were done hundreds of years ago but they stand the test of time because it the human expression the human hand has had a hand in making them practically you know and i don't want a bit of a rant there but it is just art. There is so much art in this movie that you it just every scene you could pause it and you could freeze frame it and put it on a poster and you use it as a screensaver. You could you could use it just to break down the ideas of lighting, the ideas of how to tell a story using visuals, using narrative. Everything about it just has that sort of um shine of of creative of a creative hand of somebody like del toro who as i read in the introduction spent a long time putting this play this story together putting this idea together creating the characters drawing the characters visually breaking down each interval individual piece of every bit of this movie and then bringing it together and putting it on screen you can tell that every part was thought of the 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 character designs the costumes the the area the environment the themes the setting everything it's just done in such a way that it conveys. And I haven't meant, well, I did, I haven't mentioned this, but I haven't really mentioned here at the moment in this interview, well, not interview, in this review, that this movie's not an English film. It's a Spanish speaking film. I had to read the subtitles. And this shows how not just powerful this movie is, but how powerful Amelie is and how powerful cinema in general is. Is if when done right, and I mean that when done right, um, it doesn't matter the language barrier or any sort of barrier at all. If done right, art will prevail. You know, uh, you can connect to a character even if you don't speak their language because it's a human emotion. If you can feel the emotion on the screen, you can feel the emotion in yourself. Your heart will do the rest. All you have to do is listen. As long as you, you take in what you see, if you use all your senses, what you can see, what you can hear, what you internally feel, your body would do the rest. And I did. I sat and I read the lines and I saw what I could see. And yeah, if this movie was English, then I could probably, maybe you could say I would connect more to it. But for because it wasn't, I had to listen. I had to pay attention. That's one thing that you don't get most days in movies, especially if you watch a movie in your own native tongue. 
you don't have to pay attention because you can just listen to the words and understand what's going on. Whereas if it's something that's not your native language, not your like native tongue, you have to pay attention, which means you have to not just read what's what's been said, but also you have to pay attention to how characters are standing, how their facial expressions, how they move, uh, how the background looks, how the music is going. You have to pay attention to every single individual facet of every single bit of detail that you see on screen. You have to use all your senses. And this is why I enjoy watching movies that aren't English, because I have to actually try my best to find enjoyment out of it. I have to use my all my senses to find what makes it so wonderful to to derive the the meaning the derive the story to derive the themes i have to put the work in and i like that and a lot of people don't want to do that i understand it because again the whole point of a movie is meant to be a movie where you're lost but if you just go in and you just watch what it is you don't even it's not even work you're not even trying all you've got to do is sit listen and look that's it and let the movie do the rest. And for a movie like this, that is art, that is very sort of fanciful and, and stylish, you don't have to even have to try. The movie does it for you. Uh, very much, I could go as far to say that if you took the subtitles off and you just listened to it in Spanish, you might not understand what they're saying, but you will understand what is going on, how the characters feel, you know, through what you visually see and what you can hear through the music. Um and that's just beautiful. That that is just storytelling and move and cinema done right, in, in my opinion. I can see why this movie is so wildly loved and such a um, a classic by so many people. And I again, I I'm kind of kicking myself now that I never watched this movie earlier. But I'm kind of glad I watch it now because I can share my 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 gushness, my my excitement with, with you all of how wonderful this movie is. Because it is, it's wonderful, it's gorgeous, you know. Um, but also, um, I can see sort of the comparisons between this movie and Pinocchio. Um, as I mentioned, like when I did my Pinocchio review, that one is set very much again during a time of war, during a time of strife. The differences between that movie, that movie was set um, also during the Second World War, but it was between sort of the uh, Italian uh, Italy and. Uh, the Nazis when they were working together. This one is more about the Spanish and during their civil war during 1944 that they were having at, at the same time. But again, there are sort of similarities here. Granted, this movie was made 2006 and Pinocchio was like last year, 2022. But you can tell that there, there is this story that he's trying to tell, this sort of story that I don't know much about in terms of Del Toro's personal life. But it, I don't know, it felt like there was a comparison. It was sort of like there were tales of, of a time that had strife in his country and had strife in his world where he this is his way of expressing it because you have the evil generals. You have the evil general and captain here in this movie and you have it in Pinocchio. You've got fascism and uh, the worst sides of it and how it can ruin lives and ruin people. you know. But also, as well as all that dark and all that, grown up and horrible stuff there's beauty you know there's beauty in time of struggle you know that magic is alive that as long as you have belief as long as you believe you have hope um that will always prevail and i can now just sitting here i top made i can see 
that sort of idea, that that concept. Again, this is my interpretation from watching this movie and Pinocchio and a few other films of his, that in all of his movies, even, you know, Don't Be Afraid of the Dark, which is a fantastic film, didn't do very well, but it's a great movie. There's always that internal struggle. There's always that dark side, but there's always, again, that idea of hope. And there's that hope of, of belief in magic and belief that as long as you believe no matter if it's magic or whatever, that it will always prevail, that things will get better. You know, even if you are struggling, things will improve. You just have to fight through the struggle to get to sort of the peace, to the, again, the magic, the belief, the the wonderment to to be a child again. And I'm not, I won't go into it, obviously spoilers, but this movie, especially when you get to the end and, and when all the perspectives come together and, the the grown-up world and the childlike world and everything just when it comes together and you really sort of get that big sort of ah i understand now that's where you're like yes i'm glad i held my belief i i I, i'm glad i i didn't succumb to the darkness that i allowed myself to stay humble to stay sort of pure and when all seem lost that the characters got what they deserved either for good or for bad but it all at the end of it everything just works yeah Uh, i don't know i had to go into more detail about going to spoilers but it's just wonderful you know and i I can feel myself getting a bit hippy dipping I, i do apologize for that but it's just art and i love artistic movies you know i really really do so overall my thoughts of this movie is it, it's gorgeous. Would I recommend to watch it? Most definitely. You know, don't be put off because it's not an English speaking film. If you've never watched this film before, don't be put off by that. Give it a go. Generally, watch it, enjoy it for what it is. You know, you might have a different interpretation of it than I would. Um, but I would say give it a go. It's it's a wonderful experience and a fantastic time. Um, yeah, it, it's, it's a wonderful movie. If you have watched it, then you you'll understand what I'm trying to. Or hopefully you'll understand what I'm trying to say. Um, it's it's just a yeah. It's a very gorgeous. I feel very. Well, I was going to say lethargic. I feel very sort of humble. I feel very pleasant, peaceful. Without sounding too big headed, I feel very wonderful. You know, this movie's made me feel very sort of pleasant. It made me believe magic. Which I've never, you know, I've I've always been a young soul. I've never been an adult, really. I'm 25, but I still act like I'm a child because I still am very young at heart and I still very much believe in magic and stuff like that and wonderment. So for me, it's not so hard to to experience anything like this and to be like, oh, magic, okay. You know, I'm like, yeah, I'm there straight away. Okay, magic exists. I'm, I'm there for it. So for me, it's not so hard, but this movie's kind of left me very sort of in the feeling of ah magic is real and that um no matter the struggles no matter the strife no matter the issues that as long as you believe in magic you belong you believe in the fairy tales and the fairies and that sort of thing that the world isn't so bleak and that things can be wonderful and beautiful you just have to look for them and for me yeah it is it's knock it straight on the head it, it's done it's it's beautiful it's gorgeous it's wonderful it's art um so that's been my opinions on pan's labyrinth uh thank you very very much for joining me um 
if you would like to hear more things from me, uh, you can follow me at Twitter at nerdstagic underscore pod. You can also find me and this podcast on anywhere and everywhere that you basically can find podcasts. The only place you won't find me um, is Apple Podcasts, but I'm everywhere else. I'm, I'm even on Audible. I'm on YouTube. If you listen to this on YouTube, don't forget to like, comment, subscribe and all that jazz. It really helps me out immensely. As I mentioned, as you're recording this, I'm currently at 89 subscribers. So all I need is one more subscriber to push me over the edge to 90. So if I haven't reached 90 yet, by the time you listen to this on YouTube, or even if I haven't passed 90, drop me a subscribe. I, you know, I'd be so, so grateful. My goal is 100 before Christmas. That'll be my little Christmas present. So if you want to give me an early Christmas present, get me to 100. If you can, I'll be absolutely elated. Um, also, if you listen to this on Spotify, don't forget to give me a like, comment. Um, Spotify? No, sorry. Yeah. If you listen to me on Spotify, don't forget to give me a star rating. My brain was still in YouTube mode. I do apologize. Uh, you can start rating from one to five stars. Five stars, best thing you've ever heard in your life. One star, absolute trial tripe. You don't agree with me at all. You think this movie's pants. You think I'm pants. Whatever you feel like is fair, please do rate me on Spotify. And um, yeah, so... I have been your host, Luke the Human. You've been listening to the Nerd Stagic Podcast. I will catch you in the next one. Bye-bye.